there's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girl's night, we have to get our fix, and that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girl's night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's kellyskillerpopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. I might be vegetarian, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good spice rub. My favorite place to get them is Smoked Bros, a veteran-owned and operated business that sells premium handcrafted dry rubs, spice blends, and seasonings. Guys, you can even put it on your popcorn. My favorites are Honey Badger, because he doesn't give a bleep, and Jelly and Peanut Flavor Topping, because mm, 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 some things just taste better together. The website even has recipes, so go check out smokedbros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. On last episode of the Video Archives podcast, Roger and Quentin were joined by Jacqueline Coley and investigated the private life of Sherlock Holmes. I immediately felt at home. This is exactly my style. Traveled to the light at the edge of the world. I love that. I like the fact that you're going to cross the line. Oh, of course you do. And drank three martinis by 11 a.m. in hostages. Man, oh man, was this a fucking action movie. And now we bring you The After Show, where you're always guaranteed exclusive content and even more film discussion. I'm your guide to the edge of the world and beyond, Gala Avery. On today's episode of The After Show, I'm going to be reaching into the video vault, our backlog of full film discussions between Quentin and Roger that have yet to make it on the air. Let's unlock the vault and see what we find. Out of the vault, I present... A discussion on Arthur Hiller's The In-Laws. In 48 hours, his son is marrying his daughter. For better? Could I borrow you for a couple minutes? Or for worse? No reason to shoot at me! I'm a dentist! To love and to cherish. I'll kill him, I swear! Peter Falk, Alan Arkin, Warner Brothers proudly pronounces you... In-Laws. Rated PG. Opening Friday, please check newspapers for local listings. But before we get into the discussion, I've got part three of my interview with Roger. Did you miss part two? Make sure to go back to After Show Episode 9 so you don't miss a thing. In this next segment, my dad and I get personal. Some customers at Video Archives weren't just customers. They became friends. And to me, they became family. Roger talks about the lessons that he learned, some of his favorite customers, and the slow decline of the Video Archives store. You've talked employees. You've talked owners. You've talked silent partners. Let's talk customers. Okay. Do you have a favorite customer that you still remember now? 
Um, okay. I have like a lot of favorite customers. I, I even dated a couple of customers. <laughs> so I'll, I'll close my ears for that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, we, we don't have to talk about, uh, uh, no other women besides my mother. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was nothing. It was before your mother and could not ever stand up. No, um, customers. Okay. So there's just a couple of people just like that immediately, just popped in, immediately into your head. Yeah. Um, uh, like number one, I would say, uh, would be John Langley who, uh, John was at the time, nobody. I mean, John was a guy who had done a couple of documentaries and he was shooting, you know, the Dolph Lundgren exercise video, maximum potential. He was shooting, uh, Angels of the Night with Geraldo Rivera. He was shooting like things like that. He was doing like live TV and kind of, he, uh, although he had been an assistant director on, um, like he was friends with John Candy. So he did a bunch of John Candy movies. Anyhow, um, John, uh, he had a movie that we actually had. I think it was called, I want to say Cocaine Cowboys, but it's not Cocaine. It was a documentary called um, something, something Cocaine. And, um, I had been working part-time while working at archives at a little Manhattan beach video distribution company that they, the guy who worked there, who was like a, like uh, the brother of it's, it's too complicated, but suffice it to say that everybody in Manhattan beach knows everybody else. This guy started shit talking John Langley and that documentary and saying that I, that's my documentary. He did it. And at this point, John Langley was like, he's one of my favorite customers. And uh, and I'd worked for him on now as uh, both Quentin and I had worked for him on the Dolph Lundgren exercise video mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And so I I told this guy, fuck you, take, uh, take, oh, actually, I quit. So I, I walked <laughs> out of the place. It was like, uh, and you know, after that, John hit it big with cops. And I was like one of his first employees. Uh, I was a, a runner for him and uh, like a PA. And uh, John hit it big with cops and he gave me some of the best advice of my life when I was just starting up in the business, which was um, start at the top. Like, don't uh, try to work your way up. You know, like, so that never works. People, you want to be a director? Be a director. Start off as a director. And that's what, that was the day I quit. And, uh, you know, from that job and stayed friends with him for the rest of his life. And yeah. he, he died uh recently and um it was a huge tremendous loss to me actually i've i'm still um he, he was he became like more than just a customer he became one of my best friends he when um when i went to jail he was there for me like yeah he stepped forward and we would be on the street without john langley and yeah. so i um i have nothing but good things to say about him i actually love him. i was just thinking about him it's actually do you want a tissue? No, I'm okay. No, I want to hold. I want to hold this feeling. <laughs> Gotta wait for Anyhow, the line. Gotta wait for the line. I'm sad that he he was a big. Um, uh, well, he was a big figure in life. It sounds like well, he was a huge figure in my life, and he was also recently like after the after cops ballooned into like you know. Uh, to the point where he, he started collecting wineries and shit like that. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, it did so much. And it, it was like this was a guy who had been struggling, you know, his whole life. They had been he and his wife, Maggie, had been moving from house to house around Manhattan Beach. They had kids and, you know, power getting turned off and stuff like that constantly happening as a customer. We would, yeah. we would know this. And um, 
uh, than for him to just make it and to hit it so big, like epically big where, and you know, he owned his shows and he owns his library and, uh, he did so well that it was, um, like when I saw that, I was like, I can do that too. Like, yeah, inspired you. It's inspirational. You can make it in this business. And he stayed a mentor and a friend. I was there with him the day he got his heart, his um, star on Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, you know, um, it was a really special moment. Like, I, I just like I love the guy. Um, and so he recently did. He after, you know, cops is what it is. He kind of, you know, later in life, he got really into racing, like uh, racing these like Boat dune, racing. no dune no, buggy dune racing, buggies? like these like little sand dune buggies, like uh, through Baja, Mexico, where they drive like 100 miles an hour through dirt roads and stuff like that. And apparently he had a particularly gnarly wipeout and um, a heart attack as a result of it and uh, and passed away. And so, um, anyhow, I, uh, wherever John is, I think about him fondly and love him. Another, uh, customer that was really important to us was Jeff McGuire. Similar situation where you have a guy who is a writer. He had written the movie, um, I think it was Victory. He, uh, with Max von Sydow and I think Stallone is in it. Uh, he, he had written that movie and, um, and I hope he doesn't mind me talking about this. Like, but this was actually really important to me too. As I and I've thought a lot about him as I went into my career and experienced the business and the ups and downs that the business takes takes you on. And um, uh, he was a customer who also was struggling. Same deal. Like you know, has kids, is struggling to get by. You know, is just trying to keep the lights on at home. And, um, was writing and writing and writing. And he had, I had found out, wow, like he had done this movie victory, but he was struggling at that point. Suddenly, like he wrote a script, it hit Clint Eastwood's company, bought it. They made it. It, it was a massive sensation. It was a huge hit. It was called in the line of fire. It was a movie about, uh, secret service guys. And, um, Jeff went from, like a schlub that nobody wanted to work with at that point who was washed out to suddenly high in demand. And I was so excited for him because he had a big payday. You know, his mm-hmm. um, agent had gotten him a big payday. And I was so excited for him because it was like, he again, it was like as, a, as an aspiring filmmaker to see somebody making it was really like um, exciting. And I remember asking, oh, are you going to like, are you going to move? Are you going to do like, it's like, no, no, we're not doing anything. It's like he had been up and down already in his life. He had already had tremendous success with that uh, victory movie that Stallone was, I think it was Stallone, um, is in that film. And is it Stallone? Uh, I know Pele is in the film and I know Max von Sydow is in the movie. <laughs> it's about soccer players in a, con- in a, in a prisoner of war camp. And, um, Sylvester Sloan, yeah, and Michael Caine, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, see, you don't need Google. Your brain is just as good. Well, I didn't remember Michael Caine though. That's an important uh, component <laughs> to that film. But because you can imagine, like being Jeff McGuire, and you make Victory, and suddenly you've got all those huge stars mm-hmm. in your film at a time when those are huge, huge stars at that time, the the biggest names, and suddenly you're this tremendous success. And he probably you know blew through whatever he made or. You know, he learned really quickly. It doesn't last forever. Mm-hmm. And suddenly he was down again. And then thanks God he had, you know, in the line of fire, 
and it lifted it, you know, it, it, it reemerged him back into, uh, you know, um, the business and, um, and just his, how humble he was in that moment. I wish I had paid better attention to it, closer attention to it. Um, because it's a really important lesson to learn. Yeah. It's like this movie business is like a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. It's, it is up and down. And that's why there's so many like manic depressive people in it, in the business is because you're up, you're high, you're the, you're the king of the world. And, then you know, two weeks later, you're in the, the gutter, you're at the bottom, you're at the gutter, you're a pariah. Nobody <laughs> wants to talk to you. And then you're back up again. You're like, whoa, what happened? Like, imagine what that does to you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds like video archives really was a family, like the customers, the employees, the owners, like Everything you're telling me right now, it just seems that you learned so many life lessons yeah, from well, and, working at this store. And there were also like a lot, because of Rick, there were all of these music industry people coming in. Like we had uh, like the band members of Red Cross, the the punk band. One of them I went to school with, Robert Hecker. He was like one of my best friends growing up. And so he was in this band, Red Cross, and they happened, the McDonald brothers happened to rent from video archives. And so they would always come in like after they had kind of made it. And so it was like... The whole thing about um, in Reservoir Dogs where uh, Madonna wants bigger dicks, she's singing Like a Virgin. That was the McDonald brothers. They came in and they were talking about that. And we were like, what? (laughs) And so like all these great minds were coming into the place, you know, um, Johnny Vato Vato of uh, um, Oingo Boingo would come in. Like all those Oingo Boingo guys would come in, not Danny Elfman, but uh, all the other ones. Cause we were near Torrance and uh, that Mm -hmm. area. And so there were lots of, uh, um, and and the beach cities. But back then the whole area was uh, was kind of, it was happening. Well, it's funny. Cause I remember when I first, kind of got you know, like started making it in Hollywood and actually Jeremy Zimmer was my first agent the agent I mentioned earlier Jeff McGuire by pure chance had nothing to do with Jeff McGuire but um the fact that he was Jeff McGuire's agent wow went a long way to me saying yeah I'll I'll go with you um I told him it's like oh so where do you live and I said well I live in uh, Manhattan Beach they're like where is that is that Orange County <laughs> Like to them, anything south of the of LAX, south of the airport, was like a hundred million miles. I mean, it's away. it's changed a lot. It's changed a lot. I mean, since I lived there yeah. and I grew up there, it's it used to be drug lot. dealers and stewardesses. Yeah, <laughs> you like you like you know. And now it's investment bankers and footballers, flight attendants. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's yeah, now changed, it's agents. It's, it's changed a lot. It's mostly video archives. It's no longer there. Yeah. When did the store shut down? So um, I'm trying to remember the exact date it shut down. And it kind of did a sort of rattling, slow death. Like a car running out of gas. Kind of rolled a like little a bit further. Like a car where the radiator is exploded. Like, <laughs> um, no, what happened was uh, um, the location on Sepulveda Boulevard on PCH, the, it's called Sepulveda. It's got two names. Yeah. Um, the uh, the location there was an amazing location because everybody in Manhattan Beach exits on that road on the mm-hmm. way out. And so in the morning, you could drop off your tapes, your VHS tapes. And on the way back, on the way home, it's like an easy location to get in and out of. It's on the way to the freeway. And so that was key to our success, actually, was Lance's instincts at that. But then I think what happened was the landlord kind of unreasonably raised the rent as they frequently do. And the store was already in its sort of early VHS. I mean, they were transitioning, trying to transition to laser discs. And I think maybe attempting an early transition to DVDs, but, uh, 
the bottom line was the um, when they moved the store, they moved the store into Hermosa Beach onto uh, Hermosa Beach Boulevard right near Pier Avenue. And nobody goes there. Like you go there on the weekends to drink. Like uh, Especially the, back then. In the beach cities. Yeah, back then. That was just – or uh, there was a movie theater across the way, the Cove Cinema. But like there was no easy way to park. There was no easy way to drop off your cassettes. It was out of the way for everyone. Once they moved there, it w- the, the fate was sealed. It was doomed yeah. at that point. It was doomed. Rest in peace, John. John not only shaped the future of reality television with his show Cops, and for that, I am forever grateful, but he also showed me a lot of personal kindness. I continue to be inspired by his actions, his work ethic, and the lessons that he taught my dad that my dad in turn has passed down to me. So remember everyone, if you start out wanting a Volkswagen, you'll end up with a Volkswagen. If you start out wanting a Jag, you'll end up with a Jag. Know what movie that quote is from? Be sure to let me know if you do. Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. Now, it's time to listen to the vaulted discussion on the in-laws. To start us off, Quentin gives us the lowdown on why we decided to have a chat about it, and the duo discuss their opinions of the film on release. And before we get into the movies we're going to talk about today, I did want to bring up from our last episode about um, Mikey and Nikki. That movie really kind of put me on a Peter Falk kind of thing. Mm. And one of the movies that's actually one of the, if not, I think maybe his biggest hit he ever had as a movie, but I hadn't seen it since it came out. And I just watched it just the other day was The In-Laws. What was the last time you saw The In-Laws? Okay. Last time I saw The In-Laws was literally in video archives. Oh, really? <laughs> and uh, it was at the did time- Did you see it at the theaters when it came out? Yes. Mm-hmm. I saw it at the theaters. Like, I think I everybody it. did. Yeah, it was, yeah it, was a, it was a big hit, yeah. right? It, it was, was like a, a smash. Smash hit. A, a and, surprise smash. And uh, and a fun movie. And uh, Peter Falk is weirdly kind of- I've gotten to know a couple of CIA spooks over the course of my life. Uh-huh. That's exactly what they're like. <laughs> that was, Especially having just only a vague memory of the movie from seeing it when it came out. And I remember when it came out, I liked it, but I remember being surprised that it was such a hit because I thought, like, I didn't think it was that good. All right. You know, but uh, that was actually one of the neat things about it was to kind of watch it again after all this time and especially to just focus in on Peter Falk. He's fucking hysterical in that movie. Let me give you a little backstory behind this chat. Sometimes the episodes that we record don't end up in the order that you guys hear them. Originally, This week's main episode was recorded right after episode six, which featured Coma, Mikey and Nikki, and Piranha. So, when we were waiting for our guest Jacqueline to arrive, we couldn't help but talk about the in-laws. Now, Quentin never read the back of the box, but don't worry, I've got this one covered. The box is a Warner Home video box. I picked up mine off of eBay for $1.99. It would go in the comedy section, and let me tell you, this box definitely stands out on the shelf. It's bright yellow, and you can see it from a mile away. 
poster or the art on the box is really funny because it features the chicken, which is probably my favorite sequence in the movie, and also shows that Alan Arkin's character is a dentist where he's putting the teeth on the gun. And I really like that because he just wants Peter Falk to stop talking. (laughs) Anyway, let me read the back of the box. A CIA agent yanks a dentist into the wildest comedy in years. He's a dentist. His daughter is about to be married. The man she's marrying has a father who may or may not be a CIA agent. So far, so good. Until the shooting starts. Alan Arkin plays Sheldon Cornpet, the mild-mannered dentist who gets in over his head. Peter Falk plays Vince Ricardo, who's been in over his head so long he may have lost it completely. They're as different as night and day. That's what makes the in-laws so hilarious. What was so special about them, says director Arthur Hiller, Love Story, The Hospital, Silver Streak, Teachers, was the way they related to and drew from each other. Their admiration is mutual, Arkin on Falk. He's the kind of actor who brings so much energy and imagination to a scene that everyone in it looks good. Falk on Arkin. He's a rare combination, a profound actor and a terrific comedian. What brought them together was an original and inspired script by Andrew Bergman, whose classy comedy credits include Blazing Saddles, So Fine, and Fletch. In rubbing Arkin's nebbishy conservatism up against Fox's anarchic zaniness, Hiller and Bergman have fashioned one of the funniest screen pairings of all time. And The In-Laws isn't a funny film, it's a scream. Now that you guys know what The In-Laws is about, let's get back into the conversation with a discussion on Alan Arkin's role in the film and Peter Fox's career. Alan Arkin is, it's almost the same case as you can make with Mikey and Nikki, that maybe Peter Falk has the harder job because yeah. he has to kind of be the straight man to John Cassavetes. And that's kind of the situation where Alan Arkin actually gives one of the greatest straight man performances I've ever seen in a movie ever, because he, he's the straight man that gets just as many laughs yeah. as the comedy guy. And it's his story. If you, you know, if, well, if, has, it's what happens to him over that weekend Alan is what it's Arkin about. Alan Arkin has that, it's, it's almost undeniable his dry humor his his ability to receive news with dryness yeah uh-huh. and for you to absorb how dry he's receiving uh-huh. the comedy it becomes funny in itself it's a comedy and it's about the laughs and they're both very funny actors but it's about the acting they are playing two characters this is an acted movie in a way that like other comedies with like funny actors who act funny or they yeah. aren't you know there's more <laughs> about comic persona they're giving fantastic performances while getting all the jokes, while setting each other up, you know, for their successes. Now, the thing is, there is one Peter Falk movie that was very, very seminal uh, uh, in the 70s in his time that I haven't seen that I would like to see. And that's right here. And that's this massive, successful like, TV movie he did uh, called Griffin and Phoenix. Yeah, I've never even heard of it. It's from the early 70s. It was a massive success. I mean, it just shows you that CBS Fox CBS, home video yeah. put it out on like I, its big thing. Yeah, I see that it's a CBS Fox box. Yeah, they don't like come out with TV movies. You yeah. Know? Uh, I missed it. I never saw it. But I remember it getting a lot of attention when it came out. And it, 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 I think it's a uh, tearjerker love story where these two people find each other. And I, I think at first they don't know, but he's going to die from some sort of disease and she's going to die from some sort of disease. And so they find each other and it's their love affair. I think one of the reasons the movie was such a hit is I don't think people realize the extent of how 
Peter Falk had become a superstar oh. because of Columbo. More than a superstar, beloved and welcomed yeah. into people's homes yeah. weekly they, they, at night. They knew Columbo was a star, but they didn't know that it, it 100% had translated to Peter Falk himself. Yeah. And I think this was uh, this was like the first thing he had done since he had s- scored as Columbo that he was you know, that he's the star of, yeah. and Jill Clayburgh was actually known more as a TV movie actress at this time because she had just played this fantastic role in this uh, uh, movie about prostitution called uh, Hustling right. with uh, uh, Lee Remick, and she played this uh, New York prostitute. And she's she never played another character like that again. She co-stars with him, and then after Griffin and Phoenix, she was a movie star. <laughs> From that point on, she started doing movies all the time because of the success of uh, Griffin of Phoenix. And that's when people realized, holy shit, Peter Falk is a he's a superstar. And even the idea of Peter Falk starring in a love story with Jill Clayburgh sounds like a really cool thing. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. You're going to watch it? I'd love to. Now, the other thing to watch, and I saw this at the theaters. Everyone just assumed Peter Falk and Alan Arkin would like do a, a, some more movies together. But they they didn't until in the 80s, they did this weird little comedy that John Cassavetes directed called Big Trouble. Right. Big Trouble. Yeah. It's Peter Falk and Alan Arkin and Beverly D'Angelo. Yeah. That was always a kind of bizarre addition. Yeah. That's well, a- it, it was a weird situation because, okay, so I'm, mean, well, it's, it, it's, it's an anomaly inside yeah, an anomaly of John, Ca- inside of it, yeah. John Cassavetes' career. Because except for uh, the, the Judy Garland movie he made, it's the only movie he did where, it, no, he's he's trying to make a comedy. He's trying yeah. to make a movie that's supposed to play at the fucking multi. It looks like a work for hire thing that he's come in and yeah, I'm going to be a journeyman in this one. Exactly. But he's, you know, he's got a chance at a hit. I mean, it's the first time Arkin and, and, and Falk have got together uh, in a long time. I don't I remember the script being completely scattered. However, here was the deal about it, though. Columbia thought it was a disaster. But contractually, they had to release it. So they literally, and they did this so rarely, it was literally released day and date. Yeah. It was to play at the theater for one week just for contractual yep. obligation. Yep. And but, but that same week, it came out on home video. Yeah. They think this is a disaster. They're throwing it out. And lo and behold, Big Trouble gets really good reviews. <laughs> it got good reviews in the LA Times. It got good reviews in the Herald Examiner. And they go, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> now, I saw it and I thought it was funny. The only thing I remember about it, Alan Arkin in the movie does one of, and I know this sounds like hyperbole, but it's not. He does one of the greatest comic spit takes I've ever seen in any movie. <laughs> It is, it's, it's the spit take of all time. It was as if Cassavetes challenged him, can you do the greatest spit take in the history of motion pictures? He brought it. And he, and he, he put that on his shoulders and he committed to it. And it's hysterical. <laughs> in it, Peter Falk gives him a little tiny glass of cordial. <laughs> and he drinks it back and he does... The greatest spit take in the history of cinema. <laughs> and he goes, what was that? <laughs> and Peter Falk goes, sardine liqueur. <laughs> sardine liqueur. <laughs> As you all know, when we record an episode, I only have 48 hours tops to source, watch, and research all of the movies that we may discuss. 
When it came to The In-Laws, Quentin had recommended it to me the week prior, and thankfully, I watched it in my spare time and was able to join in on the conversation. I like it for all the reasons you do. I think it has a great opening. The title sequence mm. is lovely. I love the heist at the beginning. I, I do. I like, no, I like the title sequence too. I, actually, one of the things I don't like about the movie is all the bouncy comedy music that never lets you take the movie seriously because it's always now the one time i do like it is in the opening credits in the opening credits yeah i mean i think it's great and also like there's that scene like where the he's uh alan arkin is telling his patient like oh like my child's getting married and the man's like look don't do it i love that moment so funny he's like don't do it the child is the acorn you gotta look at the tree yeah it is such a great line i'm I'm gonna use that from now on when i'm referring to people uh and i think it teeters the line of like is he or isn't he like an agent really really well oh no no one of the things actually look along with peter falk and ellen arkin the thing that i really responded to it so much was alan bergman's script because Alan Bergman is a, you know, he later became a really good writer, director. And this feels like an Alan Bergman movie. Uh, yeah. Later, he'll do uh, So Fine. Yeah. Which practically almost seems like the, the In-Laws Part 2, not story-wise, but just it's, you know, that deserves the title, you know, from the man that brought you the In-Laws. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but one of the things that works so good about it is the script. Because the whole thing about the, the engraved plates and everything, you actually care. You're actually following what's going You want to know what's going on and and they and they treat the story with respect you you learn more and more and more and the whole is he or isn't he like works kind of fantastic at a certain point you have to assume he's a fucking lunatic (laughs) yeah for sure i mean especially when he goes to the general's house and the general has his hand when you go to the guy's talking hand you assume that they both might just be insane like both of them the general and peter fox character Mm -hmm. Now, one give a kiss to little, give a kiss to Senor Pepe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's shy. He's shy. No, he's shy. He wants a little kissy. <laughs> and I love that he gets him to kiss him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one performance in it that I love that I just have to give a shout out to is Ed Begley Jr. I love Ed Begley Jr. Anytime I see Ed Begley Jr., I'm so excited. I uh-huh. love him. So just seeing young Ed Begley Jr. unexpectedly, I was like, yay. Yeah. <laughs> and I ended up actually picking up a VHS of it for $1.99. I uh, I looked at my video and it was also, it, it wasn't an archive. It was my own collection and it was $1.99. And it says I bought it at Amoeba. <laughs> wow. <laughs> In the videotape section of Amoeba. Uh, is it a Warner Brothers copy? Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, mine is too. So. Well, rest in peace, Arthur Hiller. Yes. Go into the sunset lightly. Great <laughs> man. For anyone interested in watching The In-Laws, it's available to rent all over. And you definitely should, because the back of the box is right. It is a scream. And that's our show. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Video Archives After Show. Have a burning question that you want the answers to? Make sure to write in for a chance to have your question featured on an upcoming episode. Next week, join Quentin and Roger as they discuss three new VHS titles. Want to know ahead of time what we'll be watching? Here's a riddle for all of you loyal fans out there. Try and figure it out. The first movie is directed by an actor who is in my favorite Stanley Kubrick film. The second film is the motion picture with something to offend everyone. And the third is a 1972 Western featuring a husband and wife duo. Thanks for joining me today, as it was anything but elementary. My name is Gala Avery, and see you next time on the Video Archives After Show.
Despite me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact the issue is very near and dear to my heart. Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives? I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org, to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's projectavery.org. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 